0: This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Camp Brown. and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. I think some of the most senseless words that Jesus ever said in our way of thinking were these words, whosoever shall save his life shall lose it but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. Okay, these words are certainly foolish to the modern hearer, aren't they? So today I'd like for us to consider some words of Jesus which might well be the most foolish words that his hearers ever thought, he said. These words are found in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 verse 41. Jesus said, whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. That's the King James Version. Once a Sunday school teacher had assigned this verse for memory work. When Sunday came, she repeated the verse for her class, then waited for a moment and said, now can anyone say this verse by heart? Up went a hand quickly. All right, son, you say it. The little boy repeated it. Whosoever shall compel thee to go with him one mile, Go with him by train. Well, the little boy got the wrong word, but he almost had it all right. Unless we understand the background of this saying, then we might find this verse means no more to us than it did to that little boy. We might miss entirely the real meaning of what Jesus said. The word which is used for compel comes from a Persian word, which means a courier. The Persians had an amazing postal system. Each road was divided into stages lasting one day. At each stage, there was food for the courier and water and food for the horses, also fresh horses for the next stretch. But if by chance anything was lacking, then a person could be compelled to give assistance of any kind, even to take the message himself. To the next station well when the romans took over palestine well, about six centuries later they liked this idea and they kept up the practice since palestine in those days was under the control of rome at any time a jew might be conscripted into the service of roman and forced to carry a burden for a mile Uh, parenthetically, you might remember uh, this is what happened to Simon of Cyrene who was compelled to bear the cross of Jesus on his way to Golgotha. Now, of course, you can well imagine that the Jews lost no love whatsoever for these hated Romans who could force them to carry a burden for a mile. Unless there was some emergency, no one would be required to carry a burden farther than one mile. One person said that every Jewish boy who lived in the country had marked off one mile each way on the road from his house and had driven down a peg to be sure he would have to go no farther than the required mile. There was much hatred, resentment from the Jews about this old Roman law, but there was also very little which could be done about it. They were under the domination of Rome in every respect. And so here's what Jesus was saying in effect. Suppose someone comes along and compels you to carry a burden for one mile. Don't go just one mile with bitter, obvious resentment. Go two miles with cheerfulness and good grace. Now I can just imagine that Jesus' hearers must have nudged each other and, and looked, rolled their eyes when they heard this. Were they hearing him right? Right? Was it possible that one of their own Jewish rabbis was telling them to do double duty for these hated Romans? Well, yes, that is what Jesus was saying. But it went deeper than this. He was telling them to observe the law of the second mile, trying to break them out of their shells of legalism. And so in this same sermon, Jesus said other things in the same spirit, turn the other cheek, give both your coat and your cloak, love your enemies. Jesus was saying something here that was truly revolutionary, but it is a message needed for us today as well. Jesus said that he came to give us the abundant life. We cannot experience this abundant life really without practicing the second mile. One person called it the master's majestic mile. Once in a great while, we see a person who truly embodies this principle of the second mile. Oh, this would be a different world if more people practiced it. I've often mentioned Roy Angel, favorite preacher of mine from many years ago. He describes how this second mile brings out the best in others. Many, many years ago, Roy was working as a night secretary in a railroad. YMCA. He had to work all night. A new general secretary had taken over and Roy Angel said he didn't like this man's way of running things at all. It fell his task to post the books at night and the books showed that he really resented his job. He said, I'm afraid they were the ugliest set of books ever kept. And then one day something happened. He asked his new boss, whose name was Mr. Goodwin, if he could have the next night off so he could go hunting with his friends. (sighs) Mr. Goodwin thought for a minute and he said, I think it'll be all right, Roy. One of us will have to work overtime for you, but I believe we can arrange it. In fact, I'll just work for you myself. You go on out there and kill yourself a bear. They were bear hunting. And so Roy Angel went off to hunt bears with his friends. They were gone for two days and one night He was off from work. They got back just in time for him to check in to work the next night, and he was completely done in physically. The boss could see how tired he was, so he came over and said to him, Roy, how many miles did you walk in the last two days? Aren't you pretty tired? Roy answered, yes, sir, I'm wore out all right, but I can work through the night anyhow. That's why I've come. But Mr. Goodwin said, Well, Roy, I worked for you last night, and really I'm not a bit sleepy right now, so why don't you just slip upstairs and get a few hours sleep? I'll wake you up in a little while, and you sleep till I come and get you. Well, that invitation sounded beautiful to a tired young boy. So in a short time, he was upstairs fast asleep. When he awakened, it was daylight outside. Oh, he must have overslept. What had happened, he wondered. Did he really oversleep? He hurried downstairs to the office. His boss, Mr. Goodwin had gone home, but the day secretary handed him a note, which read as follows, Dear Roy, I came up and looked at you, but you were sleeping so soundly I didn't have the heart to wake you up. I didn't mind working for you at all. It was not a hardship. Don't feel bad about it. Go on home, get your breakfast. Come on back and work for me till noon while I sleep a little. You come on back tonight and we'll be all straightened out with the schedule again. I really enjoyed working for you, Roy. And it was signed, Manly Goodwin. Roy Angel concluded by saying that if you want to see a set of books which is in good shape, just look at those books now. He said, I'll be indebted for a lifetime to the man who lived the second mile for me that first time. Now just take it from here and imagine what might happen to you if you and I and everybody listening to me right now started really practicing the second mile of Christianity beginning right now. Well, some people would think that we'd lost our mind for a few days, but just think of the happiness that could be produced. For example, in the home, when some little something goes wrong between members of the family, what if you took the attitude of saying, well, I think I'll just apply the principle of the second mile here, see what happens. I'm not going to go just the first mile and quit. I'll do that little extra. Some of you who are students in school, uh, suppose you started going the second mile in your schoolwork, I know that sometimes uh, it's not a very popular thing to say you want to do extra work in school. But just suppose you would start doing not just what the teacher requires, but a little bit extra, even over and above what you're asked to do. For one thing, the teacher might faint and become very confused at your actions, but you might also find that the teacher is just a little bit easier to get along with. Yes, uh, you would be different. Most people are interested in only getting by with the minimum of what they have to do. But what about going the second mile? What if you came to class one day with a regular assignment done, but also some extra work in the same line? Second mile. What if you who are wives treated your husband with a little bit of the second mile Christianity tomorrow, particularly when he did something that ordinarily irritated you or what if you who are husbands began treating your wives tomorrow with this philosophy? Have you tried going the second mile with her lately? Or have you just gone the first mile only and that with a grouchy spirit? Just think of what it would mean in church life if members of churches would use this second mile Christianity in phases of church work. Church work. Is there anything about church, its work or its programs, not according to your liking? Although you admit it may be for the best, but uh, others have found out when you go the second mile, when you put in a little more of your time and effort and concern, it's not so obnoxious as you first thought it to be. Second mile truth has application in interpersonal relationships. There can be no spirit of harmony or oneness in Christ as long as we're unwilling to go the second mile with each other. Not stopping with just the first mile of legalistic compulsion, but the second mile of love. Can you imagine the degree to which racial tensions would be eased if both people of all races would be willing to go the second mile with each other? Think of international misunderstandings which could be dissolved if leaders of nations could trust each other with great decisions. Going the second mile, well, it's not going to happen probably, is it? But what if it did? What if they would do it? The second mile of forgiveness could heal a lot of the hurt which people now endure. The second mile of Bible study would bless the lives of so many if they'd be absorbed in reading the Bible, not just what may be listed in a Bible uh, help of what you're supposed to read that day, but go and read beyond that. The words of Jesus may not have made sense to the people who first heard them, but I'm sure that those who put those words into practice found a new freedom from Roman bondage they didn't even know they could have. It's a freedom that comes through love, not through the law. I want to tell you a story in conclusion about uh, a young man, a young boy whose name was Kyle. One day, The author says, one day when I was a freshman in high school, I saw a kid from my class walking home from school. His name was Kyle, K-Y-L-E. It looked like he was carrying all of his books. I thought to myself, why would anyone bring home all of his books on Friday? He must really be a nerd. I had quite a weekend planned parties and football game with my friend tomorrow afternoon. So I shrugged my shoulders and went on as I was walking I saw a bunch of kids running toward Kyle they ran at him knocked all of his books out of his arms and tripped him so that he landed in the dirt his glasses went flying and I saw them land in grass about 10 feet from him he looked up and saw this terrible sadness in his eyes Uh, I saw the sadness in his eyes my heart went out to Kyle so I jogged over to Kyle and I asked him, uh, asked him if I could help. He was crawling around looking for his glasses. I saw a tear in his eye. As I handed him his glasses, I said, you know, those guys are jerks. They really should get lives. He looked at me and said, hey, thanks. There was a big smile on his face. It was one of those smiles that showed real gratitude. I helped him pick up his books and I asked him where he lived. As it turned out, he lived near me, so I asked him why I'd never seen him before. He said he had gone to private school before now. Well, I would never have hung out with private school kids before. We talked all the way home and I carried his books for him. He turned out to be a pretty cool kid. I asked him if he wanted to play football on Saturday with me and my friends. He said, yes, we hung all weekend. Together, and the more I got to know Kyle, the more I liked him. And my friends thought the same of him. Monday morning came, there was Kyle with that huge stack of books again. I stopped him and I said, Boy, you're going to really build some serious muscles with that pile of books every day. He just laughed and handed me half the books. Over the next four years, Kyle and I became the best friends. We were seniors, we began to think about college. Kyle decided on going to Georgetown. I was going to Duke. I knew that we would always be friends, that the miles would never be a problem. He said he was gonna be a doctor. and I was going for business on a football scholarship. Kyle was a valedictorian of our class. I teased him all the time about being a nerd. <clears throat> he had to prepare a speech for graduation. I was so glad it wasn't me having to get up there and make a speech graduation day, I saw Kyle. He looked great. He was one of those guys that really found himself during high school. He filled out physically, looked good in glasses now. He had more dates than I did, and all the girls loved him. Boy, I sometimes was really jealous of Kyle. Today was one of those days. I could see that he was nervous about his speech, so I smacked him on the back, and I said, hey, big guy, you're going to be great. He looked at me with one of those looks, those really grateful looks, and smiled. Thanks, he said. As he started his speech, he cleared his throat and began, Graduation is a time to thank those who helped you make it through those tough years. Your parents, your teachers, your siblings, maybe a coach, but mostly your friends. I'm here to tell all of you that being a friend to someone is the best gift you can give him or her. I'm going to tell you a story, he said. I just looked at my friend with disbelief as he told the story of the first day we met. Kyle said he had planned to kill himself over the weekend. He talked of how he had cleaned out his locker so his mom wouldn't have to do it later. That's why he was carrying all of his books, all of his stuff home that day. He looked hard at me and gave me a little smile. Thankfully, I was saved, said Kyle. My friend saved me from doing the unspeakable. I heard a gasp go through the crowd as this handsome, popular boy told us all about his weakest moment. I saw his mom and dad looking at me and smiling that same grateful smile. Not until that moment did I realize its depth. Never underestimate the power of your actions. With one small gesture, you can change a person's life for better or for worse. God puts us all in each other's lives to impact one another. And this same kind of joy and freedom can be yours. If you'll try living the second mile of Christianity, try it for one week even. If it doesn't work for you, come tell me about it. If you're living in this area, I know many of you are hearing this on podcast. You live miles away from Ocean Lakes Campground. But if, if you come tell me you tried the second mile and it doesn't work, I'll, I'll apologize for having suggested it. Give it a try. I believe it will work. Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him. Not twain, but two. That's what the Lord tells us to do. Oh God, help us to follow the master's majestic mile in our everyday living. And so find joy and know that we have the smile of God helping us out. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.